You may be seated. We have the privilege and joy um, this morning of having Keaton Paul here to preach for us. Keaton has been here before. Keaton is our Bible teacher um, here um, at the school um, and someone that uh, we treasure and appreciate a great deal. So thank you, Keaton, for giving me the Sunday off. Well, it is uh, a wonderful joy to be with you all once more, and uh, what a journey it's been to get here, um, as we were planning on being here a few weeks before, but due to COVID, we were uh, unable to do that, so it's a joy to, to finally get to be here after a long road and a long waited time. Our text for today is uh, Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, I believe it's found on page 11 in your worship guide. From Psalm chapter 3, hear now the word of our Lord. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. That is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And now, O Lord, as your people whose foes are on every side and whose foes cling to us, O Lord, and cry out in our ear, there is no salvation for you and God. May we now come boldly before the throne of grace, looking to Christ, our King, who has set us free from all of our foes. And now, O oh Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 3 is piggybacking on Psalm chapter 2, and uh, it, it is intentionally put there because it's really going hand in hand with the proclamation uh, of Psalm chapter 2. Uh, why do the nations rage against the Lord's anointed? And Psalm 3 actually kind of starts off and is one of the first uh, psalms that actually gives us the particular life situation that David is going through at this time whenever he writes the psalm. It's when he fled before Absalom, his son. And so it's going hand in hand because here you have uh, the Lord's anointed, his king, the one that he has proclaimed and set his love on and said, this will be the king who rules in my behalf over the people. 
But suddenly, here in Psalm chapter 3, you have the false king, who's not anointed by the Lord, chasing out the Lord's anointed king. And so David comes before the Lord with this psalm and this prayer of comfort and deliverance. As one commentator put it, Psalm chapter 3 is a prayer for an upside-down world to be turned right-side up. It's a prayer that uh, is very similar to much of the prayers that you'll see in the coming days throughout the book of Revelation. It's a prayer that's been treasured by Christians for 2,000 years, and I think it's certainly uh, a prayer for the saints here today. And so David begins his prayer in a very interesting manner, but in a way that he normally does with a lament. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many say to my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. David's foes seem to be all around him. There's an infinite number of them, it seems, and their very presence is drowning him. Their, their very presence around him is causing him to strangle in their very proximity to him. And here all of them are. But this isn't what actually is troubling David so much. What's actually troubling David more than anything is the message that they're carrying. There is no salvation for him in God. Now, many scholars at this point will come to this and, and say that here they are trying to give a false prophetic warning to David and say, David is no longer in Jerusalem. Clearly, the Lord is not with David. And so David comes before the Lord with his heart heavy at their proclamation to him that there is no salvation for him and God. But what I'm so thankful for is that David put this in this prayer is because this really and truly is the cause for the Christian's despair in this life, isn't it? At the very root element of the despair in the Christian life are those moments when our hearts tell us there's no salvation for us in God. It's actually the root of our idolatry, isn't it? We think you know, Christ is amazing and beautiful and the gospel is wonderful. And yes, God can, he could certainly save. But I'm just not so sure that he'll save me. Why would he waste his time with me? And doesn't that cause us a, a certain uh, spiral downwards to say, if the Lord won't save me, then I need something that will. And we do this in a variety of ways. When we think that there is no salvation for us in God, suddenly we decide maybe we should be our own superhero. But that never works. And so then we turn to something else. We can do that whole cycle 
before lunch on a Tuesday. And this is what oftentimes is the very root of our idolatry, is searching out for something to save us and deliver us and to carry us through to the end. But these things don't save. Calvin, the great theologian, famously said that the human heart is an idol-making factory. And there's a flip side to that coin in the truth that we know we need delivering, don't we? And if we think for a second with these voices speaking in our ear that there's no salvation for us in God, then there we are, standing in the field, begging the scarecrow to bring the rain and the harvest. But thanks be to God, the Lord knows that his people are weak, doesn't he? He calls us here today to sit under his word, his clear proclamation of the gospel. That we sing the gospel, that we pray the gospel, that we hold and taste and see the gospel, that we exhort and admonish one another in the gospel so that when those voices creep into our hearts and into our ears that say there's no salvation for you in God, we gather here and hear the Lord's proclamation and him say, that is not true. And it's really in this moment that after David has brought this lament to the Lord that he is reminded of his assurance that he has, that we see in verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You can recount uh, these events from um, 2 Samuel 15, and what has happened is here David is, he has um, gone into Jerusalem, and it's there that he's ruling on what is commonly called in Scripture Mount Zion, this, this high elevated place where the Lord has spoken to him and said, this is where uh, I will set my name, this special place. And King David has been chased out, and actually he goes to an area uh, just beyond the Jordan that's at one of the lowest geographically places uh, in elevation in the world, some 1,400 feet below sea level. And so there's this, this very interesting literal geographic picture that's also bringing up a certain spiritual reality that here David is in the very depths and it would be very easy for him to despair. But David recalls one very important detail. That when David cries to the Lord, the Lord answers him from his holy hill or his holy mountain, Mount Zion. And really there's one key thing for David that turns a world that has been turned upside down and turns it right side up. And that is despite the fact that David has been chased out by his very own son, that the true king, 
the true ruler, the true creator and sustainer of all things, is actually not David. The real king of Israel isn't King David. The real king of Israel is the Lord. And it takes that element for David to see that though this world is crazy, and though this is a chaotic and mournful situation, the Lord is still on his throne. And not only that, but the Lord hears him, and the Lord answers him. One of my favorite passages uh, and chapters in the the whole of the Bible is Revelation chapter 5, as you'll see uh, shortly. And it's there that um, there's presented before John this scroll that has these seals on it. And they're looking around, who is worthy to open the scroll? And after they look around this group, nobody is found worthy to un, uh, unseal the scroll and to read it. And so date, uh, John begins to, to weep loudly. And then behold, one who looks like the slain lamb, the root of David, David's son and David's Lord comes forward who is worthy to unseal the scrolls. And he comes to the one who is seated on the throne and it is there that he sits in his place of rule and authority. And it is in that reality that we rejoice that our great high priest hears our prayers and is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning on behalf of his people and it's in that moment that the myriad of saints proclaim, Worthy are you, O Lamb who was slain, to receive glory and wealth and blessing and honor. For you have made a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, a kingdom of priests who reign with you. And it's in this, interestingly enough, that David finds rest. We see this in verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke up again, for the Lord sustained me. My younger brother and his wife uh, just had their first little baby girl about two weeks ago. And anybody with kids knows but that means they haven't slept in about two weeks. Because, as they've described to me and other parents have, whenever you have your first newborn child, uh, they described it as your parental spidey senses are on high alert. With the, the slightest peep, the slightest whine, the slightest rustle in the middle of the night, a good parent launches from their bed and rushes to the side of the child to ensure that the child is doing all right and still breathing and nothing tremendous or scary has happened in the middle of the night. And that's just the mark of a good parent. 
Many would come to this passage and say that David uh, is the exact opposite of the parents and is, in fact, sleeping like a baby, but also new parents or any parents know that that's a little bit of a, of a false saying. Um, sleeping like a baby isn't, is only a half-truth. They only sleep when you don't want them to sleep, when you want to show them to your friends and family, um, but they don't sleep at night. Nonetheless, here David is, and he lays down, and he sleeps, and he wakes again, though the enemies are surrounding him. It's in the reality of who God is that causes David to find rest and to lay down and to sleep, knowing that the Lord is seated on his throne. I must confess to you all that though my one talent in this world is napping, I have not done a great job at resting like David rests. And I think if we were really honest, we would all say the same thing. While it might not be the rustle of a newborn baby that's keeping us up at night, is it not world events? Is it not a fear for the future? Is it not worry for our finances? And all sorts of other things that creep in in the middle of the night and say, there's no salvation for you and God, is there? Those things in the middle of the night that wake us up and say, unless you hold this whole thing in your hands, it's all going to fall apart. Sadly, it's in those moments that I find myself thinking all too often that for somehow, in some way, that it's me who upholds the whole of creation by the word of my power. And that causes me to not rest, to be anxious that my idols and myself and the things that I put my rest and my hope in will not deliver, and I know it. Thankfully, Pastor King David here is calling us and saying, come find rest in whom your soul was meant to find rest. It is he who calls us to bring our laments and to bring our worries and to bring our anxieties and cast them at his feet and say, but you alone, O Lord, are mighty to save. Which is precisely what he does next. After bringing the Lord his lament, after coming to the Lord for his assurance and security and comfort, he brings the Lord his request. And he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. David is bringing his burdens and his requests to the Lord. He's taking them to the very feet of him who intercedes and defends on his behalf. 
And you can almost hear Paul right there, can't you? In verse 7, where Paul will pray, Who will free me from this body of death? The enemy that lies within this indwelling sin that constantly is gnawing at our soul and causing us to, to flee to the things that bring us comfort in this world and anything and everything except for the one in whom we are to find rest. And Paul prays this very similar prayer as he's at war within himself, but then roots his hope and his security and his request in the truth that Christ, his king, has come and has died for him, has purchased redemption and salvation on his behalf, and has once and for all defeated Paul's enemy. David is resting in the same hope. And he ends with this final proclamation. After save me, O Lord, how can he trust that the Lord will save him? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. He prays the same prayer that Jonah prays from the belly of the well. There is no salvation anywhere else except the salvation that is the Lord's. And it is there that he can find hope and rest and deliverance in rooting his hope in who God is. Finally, the king concludes with a blessing on his people. A great king, though in exile, and though cast out from his kingdom, usurped by his own son, still is praying for his people. Your blessing be on your people. Isn't it wonderful that the true and better son of David does that for us now? As we come before him to the very throne of grace, it is he who intercedes on our behalf. It is he who hears our prayers. It is he who is a sympathetic high priest. And it is he who prays for us. Bless them and keep them. And so may we, his people, come to him now with our burdens and our anxieties the cares of our hearts and find our rest and our hope in him in a world that seems like it's been turned upside down, but we look to the one who turns it right side up. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and almighty King, you, O oh Lord, will hold your people fast. And Lord, not only have you called us to bring our laments and our confessions before you, but you've called us to bring and find our rest in you. And so, Lord, may your people do that this day, that we who are weary pilgrims in this world will find what our heart longs for, the peace that surpasses all knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.